0: Hello and welcome listeners to our podcast show. For those who have followed or listened to the previous ones, know I like to offer hope and do so through my guest stories and how they have navigated the turbulent waters of grief. If you're listening for the first time and don't know me, I'm Anne Butte, your host, author of Grief's Abyss, Finding Your Pathway to Peace. And my mission is to demystify grief through my coaching and facilitation work. Today, I'm absolutely delighted to introduce my guest, Peg Conway. And she is an author also, The Art of Reassembly. And we will get to find out a little bit more about Buried Grief and how it manifests itself in very surprising ways. Now, Peg has lost her mum at a very young age. And recognized that a lot of the emotions were buried. So she's now fully aware of the signs. And she knows that this is critical to the healing. Before I tell you any more, let me welcome Peg. Hello and welcome. Hello, Anne. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Oh, excellent. And I always love to hear how others have managed to navigate we're not taught on what to expect. The Art of Reassembly. I just love that title.
1: Thank you. It kind of just came to me one day out of the blue and I liked it. You have things like intuitively something comes you think, oh, that that feels good. I like that. And then the subtitle, of course, is A Memoir of Early Mother Loss and After Grief.
0: Yeah. And I think that's beautiful because to me, that's exactly what grief is. Your entire world almost crumbling and you have to reassemble yourself. So it really spoke to me. I'm
1: glad. For me, the whole, the the reassembly was, was very uh, pronounced and very, very old, over a long period of time because as you noted, my mom died when I was seven years old and that was in 1970 so a very long time ago and in a time that, where well, there was not much grief support for anyone, much less children. Yeah. Um, Kubler Ross's book had just come out the year before. Hospice was not available in the United States at that time. So it was really a dark time for grievers and my family, Irish, German, Catholic descent, you know, the more stoic carry on and the standard of coping and managing logistics. Like we, we went to school, our clothes were clean, we had food on the table, and that was all good. I mean, my, I had a lot of stability. Of infrastructure in my life, even after the death of my mom, uh, because of my dad and my grandparents, primarily, and neighbors. And so, if that was all in place, then well, we were okay. You know, we didn't really we didn't talk about our emotions. We didn't talk about my mom very much. And then several years later, my dad remarried, and at that time, we moved to a different house across town. Then a a new baby joined the family the next year, and so we were carrying on. You know, and I often refer to that to the remarriage is like the new story well this is the new chapter the happy ending you know the and my stepmother had been a religious sister you know so it's like the sound of music in our own life the reformer sister comes to save the children from the gruff father and and there was I mean I I will acknowledge there were good things that came to my life from having my stepmother but there were also there was just a lot of further burying it and then when I was in my mid-20s out of the blue, one day, a Friday in early June in 1989, a very dear friend who I had just dropped off for work was hit by a car as a pedestrian. She is fully recovered, but that event like jarred everything loose. Afterward, course of my childhood, I had become this very mature and capable child. At, at mm-hmm. nine years old, I could make dinner, and I it did, and I took care of my new baby brother quite capably. But in the aftermath of my friend's accident, I was very weepy and I was very needy and I couldn't, I just felt like, who is this person? Mm -hmm. And that really launched me into an exploration because I had this sense of, I felt like this before inside. I had this lost falling feeling and I thought, I felt this way before. When was it? And then I remembered, oh my Mm. gosh, it was after my mom died when I was seven years old. And so it was just kind of like this, discovery of this whole hidden room of myself or this and over the course of motherhood and marriage like in my 30s and eh, partly into my 40s kind of coming to grips with it and being confronted with lots of emotional triggers and awareness and just there was just a lot of emotional processing going all the ass I was actively grieving then really I mean in retrospect Mm -hmm. and then when I was in my like early 50s and caregiving for my elderly dad and stepmother. I think I saw it as like a linear plot. Like, you know, we had the inciting event of the, of the accident, and then we had all this coping. And then, then I'm okay. You know, I've kind of processed it. I'm done, so to speak. But then reentering the arena with my parents, it was like, oh, oh, wow. No, I, I'm me. I'm still me. I'm still feeling all this stuff. And it clearly was a more spiraling experience and that that was very interesting to me and it really made me wonder that's where the writing really began the interest Mm -hmm. in writing my own story
0: Mm -hmm. and the Mm -hmm. sense
1: of and still the sense of putting myself back together in yet a different pieces in a different arrangement at midlife than had been
0: at young adulthood it's just like an ongoing process It's such an interesting experience. And my parents both died when I was well into my retirement years. But it doesn't really matter as an adult when your parents die. It still brings you to that insecurity. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Because we've always had our parents If we've been lucky to have them throughout our life. And then it was almost as if, oh, I have to grow up now. I don't know if I'm ready for this. So that was sort of my experience later on in in life. But going back to a child's experience, there is the event, and then there's all the stages of growth and all the celebrations that if your mom had been there, your life would have been slightly different. Although I'm, oh, it sounds like your stepmother did a, a great job. She
1: was definitely present and fulfilled. You know, a lot of, I, I have had quite a few interactions, especially in the past four or five years with other motherless women via the programs offered by Hope Edelman. And who's the author of the you know groundbreaking book, Motherless Daughters here yeah. in the States. I recognize that a lot of motherless women feel like they missed out on things that their mom would have taught them or showed them. And my stepmother definitely provided for me things like how to set a table and when you need to shop for a dress or, you know, like those little feminine things. Mm-hmm. When I got my period, things like that. We we really struggled with each other in a number of ways. And I think the fundamental choice by her and my father, I mean, my father, let's not, let's not make it an evil stepmother at all. It was mm-hmm. their... The time of the culture and the time and their their tendency to just carry on without acknowledging the past. So the burial of my mother's memory, like the layering on of the remarriage onto the loss already, mm-hmm. that really did a number on me. And that was hard. And we were not able, we really... My stepmother was a very complicated person in my life, but I do have gratitude for. Enough. Ironically, she did teach me about death. I mean, when I when I think back on it, her says her old she was the youngest of six children, and her oldest sister died when I was in high school, and it was the first real funeral I had been to, other than as a child. And mm-hmm. as my mom, and so she was always one who explained things, and so, and so she described ahead of time what the visitation would be like and what we would do, etc. It was really helpful, actually, mm-hmm. and it. I think because so much about my most significant loss had been unavailable to me, I really like gravitated like, oh, this is what you're supposed to do. And so I I mean, I went to, I always went to funerals. I still do. I go to funerals. I go to visitations. I try to mark deaths. And uh, it's something that was really important to me to pass on to my children as well. My husband and I took them to funerals from a very young age so that they would know they would know what happens when someone dies and if something unexpected, it was almost like a rehearsal for my own death, which was a big part of my thirties, naturally. You know, the the approaching the age of your own parents' death is particularly poignant for people who lose a parent young. So my mom died at age 37. So like my kids are in early grade school, but preschool and early grade school and I'm in my thirties. And so I'm like almost unconsciously rehearsing, well, when I die or if I die, they will at least know what a Mm -hmm. funeral is and what to expect and
0: that that is not uncommon in uh, adults who experience early loss. You mentioned that your stepmother shared with you what to expect and you were then able to pass it along to your children I Do you think that might be the Irish slash, I don't know about the German culture, but I know the Irish from being British, they would have the wakes and the body oh, would yes. be in the parlor. And We everybody. didn't quite do it that way. We had the funeral home and all, but the party,
1: in fact, for this aunt, we did host the party after the, it was on an e- like a weekday evening, I think. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was very enjoyable. I liked that. I did like that. It wasn't exactly a... And actually, I remember we had people back to our house after my mom's funeral too.
0: Mm-hmm. But it would be different because you'd be sort of feeling a little bit lost and not knowing what to expect. Whereas your stepmother had prepared you as you're doing with your own children. I interviewed very early on in my Podcast history, uh, a gentleman who was Irish and he wrote a book about the Irish wake. Um, And the thing that he left the audience with was we are the next in line. We need to teach our children about death and dying and loving so that they're not fearful of it when it happens. Been your experience as to how children grieve? Because it's very different, isn't it? From yes, adults. yes,
1: yes. I I volunteer um, for an organization here in Cincinnati called Fernside Center for Grieving Children and Families, and they offer like twice monthly support groups at different locations around town, and it's a whole family opportunity where there's you know breakout groups for each, different age groups and including adults and I have been weirdly I kind of you know, these things are not coincidental I guess involved with the first through third grade group mainly in my five years of doing this which is the age bracket that I was I didn't request that but that's where I landed and then it was like oh well of course what other group would I want to work with mm-hmm. um, and often you know we include fun in the groups because it's good to remember that you can still enjoy yourself, and it helps the kids get to know each other a little bit just to have some low-key interactions about ordinary things. Mm -hmm. But I think, especially for children, the biggest value, of one of the biggest values of the group is to simply know there are other children who are grieving, and we who have experienced loss. We open the sessions by introductions because kids can join at any time. The the groups run on a school year calendar, but you don't have to start at the beginning because, of course, who can schedule their bereavements and so new kids are joining and often at the beginning they're they're a little bit reserved they don't you know they don't want to say something or whatever and we don't we don't require them to talk and so but then the kids who are more familiar will say oh my name's so-and-so my dad died I'm in blah 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 grade and I my favorite whatever is and it goes around and then and in time the new person like oh oh, everybody's doing this. And then they they feel like they can, and often the kids will say it's, it's, they like having a place to come where everybody has a story of loss and it's normal and you, you don't have to feel weird. And I remember that so vividly as a child is the moment my mom, after my mom died, and I was out in the world again. I always felt different from other people from the like the very first day going back to school when everyone's fussing over you. And that's fun. And that's nice, but it's it's a weird reason. Like you don't really want to be called attention to for that reason. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, with extracurricular activities, my girls got trip my grandma had to help with things. And, you know, I love my grandma. My grandma was my mom's mom was my my safe person, my, my refuge person always, but, mm-hmm. but it still was odd, you know, you had to be different. That, I think that's the biggest thing. And, and they're not always, some kids don't want to talk about their grief. They want to, they, they might listen to the other kids. And then, then maybe they'll, if we're doing, we do a lot of creative expression, drawing and crafts and things. And sometimes a child who doesn't talk a lot will get very engrossed, in drawing a picture of something that their mom used, a memory they have with their mom or their sibling or whoever. So it comes out in different ways when they're ready and it does come and go. It doesn't, it's not like a, necessarily an extended discussion about anything.
0: Mm -hmm. When you see the child interacting, doing well at school, having, you know, the sleep isn't interrupted, you assume that the child has gotten over their grief, but that's not the way From my observation of it is the child will grieve, then go out and play. It's almost as if, okay, I've dealt with that. Now let's have a little bit of fun. As you said, introducing the art so that they can do expressive drawings if if they choose. What might you caution parents around that?
1: Well, I think... It's important to not assume they're okay or to assume that because they don't bring it up or they don't seem outwardly distressed that they are not having feelings or having thoughts and um I really feel for you know a parent who has lost a spouse and then having to all you know attend to their own grief and to their and to their child children's yeah. grief, but I think one thing that parents might undervalue is their own grief. Like there's obviously a fine line between overburdening your children with your emotions, but hiding your emotions from them in the name of one, you know, you want them to feel safe, but at the same time, if they know that you feel sad, that gives them a permission. It gives a, it opens up perhaps a conversation or, um and especially the other thing that I, I would say to any adult who, and I think, in addition to the the surviving parent and the extended family, there's also the wider network of connections to the person who died that can be so valuable to children going on in life. You know, friends of your mom or friends of your dad who have memories of them that you would never even know how to access, like when they were in high school or what they were like in college or what, who, what their job was, and things like that. But I spent... A good year or two kind of interviewing some people who had known my mom, even including my aunts and close people, but like friends, someone that I had never met before who she went to college with, who I had known her, one of her daughters in high school a little bit, we were acquainted. And that was fascinating and helpful to be able to have those memories Later in my life, when I was, you know, when I was seven, I wouldn't have known to ask what my mom was like when she was a nurse and what she was like in college. But you know, when I, when I'm a grown up, I think, oh, what was my mom like? And it was, I think that is a, sharing those memories and kind of preserving them, almost like a, an archive, mm-hmm. is is just really valuable and maybe could be overlooked.
0: Okay, so if the the parent themselves is overcome by their grief, you would recommend not necessarily running and hiding from if the child was around, but just explaining, I'm crying because I'm just really sad. I really Mm -hmm. miss. So Mm -hmm. something along those lines. I think so. Yeah. Okay. And I think that's the benefit of the funerals. But when you're a child, as you said, you're hearing the stories, but you're not necessarily taking it in. If the parent, I guess, then could share as much about the person, it's almost as if it's allowing the bond with whoever it was for that, that bereaved person to bring them along, but also giving an opportunity to share who or what the person was about mm-hmm. to, to their child. So the child feels part of uh, that person's life for sure.
1: And it's very much an ongoing thing because if someone loses their mom or dad at you know nine or 10, what they're wondering about when they're 18 or 19 is very like what they might want to know or might be able to understand about their parent is different than it would have been at the time of the loss. I think the long term, the longer horizon, t- taking into account the longer horizon for children's grief is something that I am pretty passionate about because it was so it's been so significant to me.
0: Yeah. What sort of symptoms might you have had? I realized that it was your friend's accident that sort of triggered that you, you had underlying grief in the wake of that event. Well, her accident happened in June
1: and that summer appetite was reduced. I lost weight. I I was also very busy at my job. So I was in a frenetic state with that. Um, I was weepy, like simple little transitions. Like, I mean, my friend was not, um, she was, injured. She had a broken leg and some dental injuries and contusions and things. Mm-hmm. The main thing was the broken leg. So she was on crutches for the summer, but she was able to get around and she was able to, you know, eventually to drive. So it wasn't, it wasn't a um severely debilitating, but you know, at 25, that was, it was a big event for both Absolutely. of us. But so, and we became, we were sharing a house together and we had been friends since high school. And so we were very close and we became even closer at that time through that Mm. experience and I became really needy of her like um, if she was going out she we always had separate friends but if she there were times where she would go out with her other friends which was a perfectly normal thing to do and I would feel weepy and abandoned Mm. and that was very unfamiliar to me I mean I think I had I'm sure I had abandoned feelings throughout my childhood but I didn't Ever connect them to, I mean, I just didn't, I just didn't question them. Yeah. Um, I also, a, a legacy of my childhood loss is I think I was a pretty, am at times still a pretty hypervigilant person, you know, and I think that's my personality as well, but I think it got, Amped up. Hope Edelman often, I've heard her say more than once that, you know, who we become in the wake of our loss is probably not, we're not probably a different person than we would have been necessarily, but certain aspects of ourselves may have become more amplified than they would have if we hadn't had this loss. And I Mm -hmm. think... Something like that. That's super organization and super attentive to details and super thinking ahead and worrying about things. I think that would have been part of me anyway, but I think it it became pretty amped up, and so that that was really active in my twenties as well. And is when I had my own kids? Mm-hmm. I actually married. I got my husband is my friend's brother, okay. and we we had known each other, but we became closer friends um, during the course of her recovery.
0: Oh my goodness. It's amazing how these things happen, isn't it? It is. It's a fun story. People it get is get indeed. It. Yes. Uh, that's interesting that you would say that you became needy because I've noticed that and some of the clients, somebody will relate that they lost their parent in their younger years Yes, to me that is abandonment or feelings of rejection. So it's understandable that that would come up at that time. But I guess you just knew you didn't feel like yourself and wondered what was going on.
1: Right. So that summer, I was definitely it was an acute kind of thing, and I did begin to see a therapist, and we, you know, sort of looked at all of this, and the whole abandonment thing was kind of made sense. And then what, let's see, like a year later, I we got engaged to my husband and we got married. The next year we had our first child and the, the arrival of the first child activated a lot. It activated more in kind of anxieties and grief, but it really brought up missing my mom profoundly in a way I had not mm-hmm. as a child, since childhood and recognizing what she had lost like suddenly maybe standing a little bit more from her perspective mm-hmm. you know, holding my own child recognizing oh of course my mom loved me the way i love this child and oh to have known you were going to have you were going to be taken from it. i mean i it was it was an incredible um awareness it was really really profound mm-hmm. and many in the course of raising my children all the many little tasks of home, you know zipping jackets and making lunch and changing diapers and picking up toys and going to the library really brought a sense of connection to my mom. I really felt like i was i was not living her life but like I was carrying on something I had gotten from her and that was the that was the first time ever in my life I had had that feeling mm. simply being because I had no way of connecting. Because one of the things that happened as a result of my dad's remarriage is we became less, much less connected to my mom's extended family, my grandma, who had been so dear to me and precious to me. Mm. Um, because our life just kind of, shifted into a different rhythm we spent holidays with my stepmother's relatives who were very lovely but the kind of the un perhaps an unintended consequence I don't know but it it really that was a that was a real loss that was was going to say
0: that would be an additional loss that was a second
1: that was a very that I didn't really appreciate at the time it's really only in the last in this last go-round this course of writing my book and stuff that I really appreciated how that how hard that was and how sad that was.
0: Mm-hmm. It's so interesting how you're unpacking all these different levels of, of loss because they don't always just come up when the event happens, but it's all the secondary, the questioning. I wonder if mom had been with me. And I'm sure you felt that way when you were getting married. Oh, if only mom had been here, we could have gone and got mm, my wedding dress together. Mm -hmm. That I'm sure.
1: Because my wedding happened after my friend's accident. Like before my friend's accident, I was in a sort of, I don't know what you would call it. I just, it was sort of buried. I mean, buried is perhaps the word, or there was this barrier to, Mm -hmm. I mean, it was something had been severed. I wasn't really pining for my mom because I had a mom. Even... Yeah. I mean, I just sort of like, well, I have a mom who does these things with me in that sort of logistics mindset. Well,
0: yeah,
1: Ag will help me get my wedding dress and, or like when I graduated from high school, she bought the dress that I needed and stuff like that. I was always good with that. But when I got married, this awakening had already happened and it was confusing in my mind. Like it was beginning to be, it was beginning to feel confusing. I felt disloyal to her. I felt disloyal to my mom. I felt confused. Again, mm-hmm. that, re, that, that reassembly process was beginning. Like yes. who am I really? Whose daughter am I? And is my, even is my mom still my mom? I mean, I really had to claim my status as a motherless daughter. Hope Edelman's book, came out in 1994 in the spring and I almost like am I entitled to this am I really a motherless daughter I mean literally this there was like this subtle I was also pregnant with our second child around at that same time well no she had been born the year before 1993 and I did a a prenatal, um, I read a a book by a woman named uh, Gail Peterson, An Easier Childbirth. She's a psychologist of childbirth. And it had some reflective exercises about kind of the context of your life. And there was a whole series of questions about your relationship with your mother. And it confused me. So, I mean, I just felt like, I don't know. I don't know who is my, like, I just hadn't really delved into it enough and considered it enough and so I just kind of set it aside Mm -hmm. Um, but that's that's really the the crux of the reassembly is I needed to unearth my loss and then grieve it like it wasn't always just sort of ever as ever present as Mm -hmm. it might have been for other people
0: Mm -hmm. and I would imagine that's the same sort of thing as other children who have lost a parent early in life and the family reestablished another spouse is brought yes, along very much so um,
1: and pe- especially people with losses in the 70 like I I went on a motherless daughter's retreat with Hope Edelman in 2018 and I full I was prepared to be the oldest person there but I was not and there The oldest person in the group was 69 and the youngest person was 22. And we all, there was a strong, we'd all lost our mothers before the age of 21. Mm. And there was a strong commonality of our experience. But people in there, like who came of age in the 70s and 80s, 60s, 70s, 80s, really, there was a real desert and there was a real of grief, acknowledgement, and expression. And there's a lot of people of my generation who, really did not have the opportunity to have their losses acknowledged and remembered. And I think I always want to say the adults in their lives at that time were in the same boat. It wasn't like the adults were having all this lovely grief expression on their own and just didn't think the kids needed it. It was just not a time where people were open about that or knew how to be open
0: about it. Exactly. Yeah, a lot of um, adults that raised us were even probably emotions dismayed them, didn't they? I remember being told, if you want to cry, go to your room and cry. Because looking back now, it was probably because my mum it hurt her in some way, but she recognized my need to cry. But I had to do it away from her. Mm-hmm. Um, it sort of triggers them, doesn't it? I, yeah, we have come such a long way and I'm so grateful. Even in the last 10 years, there was nothing there when my dad died. Mm. I went to the library. I didn't buy books online and I was given by the librarian a book by Joan Didion. And that was spousal loss. Well, I couldn't relate to that.
1: No, it's very, loss is very particular. You want to connect with people. I mean, it's universal in one, Mm -hmm. I mean, in many ways it is universal, but I think when we're, when we're tender about our own loss, we need to see stories of people who went through something very close to what we did. I, I know that that is the case among women with early mother loss. They're very, we can be very unsympathetic to people who lost their mother as an adult, because it's so different in our minds. But as I have become more in tune with my own grief and more self-acknowledging of my own grief, I feel like I can see grief more universally,
0: more effectively. It really is a personal journey for that person. What the attachment was to that person uh, is to how they're going to grieve. And I don't think we can judge anybody's... No, no. And I, I always say that no, that's a judgment because you don't know what that person meant to to that person. And yeah, I would get well. You were lucky; he was a good age. Well, I wanted him to go on for another. Sure, <laughs> I wasn't ready. And and that I'm going at the other spectrum from where you would have been. There's there's a broad sense, but each age that we lose somebody. Will bring in a different set of what I call secondary losses mm-hmm. as we're discussing to sort of go through, and if they're not dealt with, what have you discovered if people don't even deal with them?
1: I think they get manifested in some way, but if if it's unaware, if the person is unaware, then it becomes it can become hard. You know, it can be damage other relationships if you're feeling reactive and you're, for example, if somebody else's loss triggers something in me and I'm not tuned in to say, oh, I'm triggered because the similarity or the difference, whatever it is, and I I need to kind of give myself a break here. I could say something rude or something inconsiderate if I was just acting out of my own reaction of the moment. It can be very hurtful, Mm -hmm. cause hurt relationships and hurt feelings simply because of lack of acknowledgement. And I think that's all too human. I mean, I think we all do that at different points in time.
0: Exactly.
1: Do you want to say that I do, I have experienced loss now multiple times as an adult. All of my parents and both my husband's parents are dead as well as beloved aunts and uncles. I remember when we were uh, three years ago and we were driving out of town to our oldest son's wedding. And I mean, my father in law had been dead for over a year. My mother in law had been dead for over like almost a decade at that point. And both, and I felt like I said to my husband the week of the wedding, I said, I'm really weepy about your parents and my like, no grandparents coming to the wedding. They're all gone. And, I just, it's hard to imagine having this event without them there because they were always so up for a party and they were part of our kids' milestones, you know, their baptism and what have you. And so I I really have had a lot of experience of recognizing what you're describing as the secondary loss and the future
0: lack of presence at those Mm -hmm. events. It it does impact us. Yeah. Whatever age. Yeah, I've actually done the same now that our children are having their own children. And my mum loved children. She was a children's nurse. <laughs> so why wouldn't she? And I often look at them and I'm having fun with them. And I think, oh, Mum would just love them. She I wish she was here to see them. And that brings that sadness. It's not the pain of the initial grief when you're going through it, but the, it's part of your emotional makeup, it's that sadness, and you yes. can feel that, and it's okay to feel that, yes,
1: yes. And don't you don't need to be afraid of it? I think not expressing things tends to make us fear them more as though somehow. It's going to overpower us, so we have to keep it at bay. But in reality, if we feel it, we're not likely to be undone by it. Well, we might be undone for 10 minutes, Mm -hmm. but we will. it will pass. It will, like a wave of the ocean or something, it will come through us. And I think that's hard to trust if we don't have experience. And we need support for that. We need a lot of support for us to be able to, to do that.
0: Absolutely. That's why I say that grief needs support action and commitment.
1: <laughs> ah, great. What is commit what is what do you mean by commitment? I'm
0: curious. I say it's good to grieve. You need support, but it takes time to heal like a broken leg. You do need to take action. You can't put your heart in a cast, but you can do what you can to help yourself heal and, and bring your loved one along. And that's the commitment. Mm. The commitment to feel the sadness and the joy, not just it all be, well, who am I now that this person is gone? I, I have to be sad for the rest of my life. That's what I mean by commitment. Mm-hmm. Does that guess, make
1: sense? Yeah, yeah. And I can see where the feeling of sadness is almost like a connection to them and but if I mean I can imagine seeing that that way and recognizing maybe that's not that's not going to be the best way to live long term but I'm I'm connected to them I mean I I can see that
0: you can see that. Yeah, that, that's often...
1: I can a, see that it's not helpful long-term, but I can I can, I can identify a little bit absolutely. with wanting to do that, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Uh,
0: and this is where my coaching comes in, that if you're hanging on to the pain because it's a connection, I'm sure there are kinder ways that you can have that connection when you are not in in such a painful situation. Mm -hmm. And very often they'll say, well, yeah, if, if I get rid of the pain, then that will either mean I didn't love the person or I won't have that connection. But the beautiful thing happens is you have more love for the person, filling your heart up Filling the pain up with the memories—that's how I like to think about it.
1: Mm-hmm. I think the the whole concept of connection and remembrance is another very fertile area for our culture to f- develop more and more. Having waited many years, decades even, to really consciously remember my mom and and integrate her memory more into my life. I say wholeheartedly that it's always possible and that it can take so many different forms. It doesn't, you know, I'm fortunate to have a number of things that belong to my mom. And I like, I have the China, having them, I like using them and uh, even, even doing things that aren't necessarily directly related to her. Like for example, I know from the stories that people told me and pictures that i've seen of my mom i've in, i've concluded that she was a person who liked picnics because she went on a lot of them with her friends and with mm-hmm. her family and i remember going on picnics a little bit as a child and so i'd like to go on a pic- like i think of that as a way of remember like it's very indirect mm-hmm. but it gives me a feeling it's about creating a feeling i think as opposed to a specific Place, or I mean, places are are helpful, but it just doesn't have to be literally the same thing. It can be a facsimile, it can be an evocation, and that is so valuable. I mean, it's very, very meaningful to me. I remember one of my one of my really most prominent memories of my mom was being taken to get my first library card. So mm. libraries, library books, that those always conjure my mom to me, and. I, I think it's something I passed on to my kids without a whole lot of conscious thought, like, oh, my mom did. It just was part of me. Yeah. And uh, I love that. I mean, it just really brings, th- those little things are not super public. They're not super anything, but they mean a lot to me.
0: They bring you the joy, don't they? They do. Yeah.
1: They yeah. remind me that she was alive, that she was a an active, social, nurturing person
0: for many years before she was ill. Mm-hmm. And it just feels good. Yeah, I can imagine it would. I like that. It's the feeling of what that memory of doing that action can, can bring to you. Interesting. You have mentioned your book as being a way of part of your reassembly. Is that what I was hearing? The writing of it, creating the story and really bringing my
1: mom into my present life. Like my mom, I dedicated the book to her, you know, it's like it's a tangible um, sign of her and our relationship. Yeah, I think of it as, you know, sometimes people will buy a park bench or plant a tree in honor of their loved one. Well, I wrote a book. That's <laughs> it's my tribute to my mom and it's a tangible sign of her to me. And it it meant a lot to me. It meant a lot to me to write it. It means a lot to me to have it out in the world. And I love talking about it. I love, I mean, and that's I always say this, but like, you know, I went from being a person who like never talked about grief, barely acknowledged to herself that she had any grief, to being a person who loves to talk about grief. I love sharing my story. I love kind of reflecting on children's experiences and listening to other people's experiences. It's so, it's just so uplifting, weirdly.
0: Yes, I know. It's very, it's a very strange passion of ours. I get it. And only those that go out there and do it can understand where we're at. But there's another way that you are bringing your mom Your mum was a nurse, I heard you say. Yes, yes, she was. So she loved helping. She loved helping to heal people. Mm -hmm. Isn't that what you might be doing in this moment as well?
1: I suppose there is that connection. And actually, I, in the past few, since my kids left home, essentially, I began studying energy healing. And in 2020, I completed a several years um, certification process with the Healing Touch program. And I have a, a private practice here in town and I, through just Very random connections got, became affiliated with a organization called Cancer Family Care that provides a number of free sessions. They provide counseling to people affected by cancer, but they also provide these additional services of healing touch and massage. And so I'm on their referral list. So I serve a a significant number of people who are in cancer treatment, many of them women with breast cancer of all ages, women of all ages. And I feel like that is, that is a touch back to my mom. It feels like Nurturing. I don't know what it feels like. It feels like connecting to her. I think that's the best way to describe it. And work, it's a, you know, an adjacent healthcare adjacent field. It's not nursing in any shape or form, but it is, it is helping people in a medical Situation, yeah. and I I do feel that that is connected to her in a in a in a way that makes sense for me. Mm-hmm. It didn't. It wasn't something I consciously thought about. But now that I'm here, and you, you almost like this is maybe the first time I've actually thought this through this carefully. Um, but I do see it as an as a connection to her. I actually put a picture. Uh, we used to go on vacation in Minnesota. Uh, my dad's uncle had a place on a lake there, and my mom died in November, and I. I think in the summertime they knew that she was not well and so we went for an extra long trip and during that time my dad took pictures of each of us with our mom which I did not fully realize what he. I mean certainly at the time I didn't know what he was doing but we you know I have the picture of her and I together and uh I have a framed version of it on in my office as a little like
0: little reminder or symbol <laughs> or something. Oh that is beautiful so while you're doing your work your mom is. Is there as yes, yes, she's present, yes, That's exactly. beautiful, yes. In what way do you think writing about your experience helped with your healing?
1: Writing, I think, was really instrumental for me. It allowed me to ex like bring things out of myself in a way that was healthy, you know, just sort of write out what I felt, and in the course of. The the book kind of originated with those kinds of writings, and then when I after I had decided that I wanted to write a I wanted to try to write a book, I would sometimes write about writing. Like I would if I was unearthing, you know, like something that was painful or hard to recollect, and I you know might I might need to set that aside. But then the next day, I might write a reflection on what it was like to write that. I'd be like, oh, yesterday I wrote about. X and it really made me feel this way, and I, I noticed my my stomach was jittery, or and I was surprised that I recollected blah blah blah. It just it it was like this self communication and self reflection that helped me just get it out, like let it be its own thing, Mm -hmm. as opposed to stirring me up. It was calming. I mean, was it was very cathartic Mm -hmm. and just almost like a ritual. I think writing is, for me, is a form of ritual of of giving something shape and form and letting it it have its own presence.
0: Mm -hmm. Did you ever go back after you'd written it and sort of pay attention to perhaps your grief journey and how you weren't necessarily talking about the same things, but you could see a trajectory of how you were perhaps healing. You may have your bad days, but there'd be more good days. Was Were you aware of any of that, or that wasn't the sort of writing that you were doing?
1: Um, I don't think I went back and with that kind of eye, that actually would be something interesting to do now. Mm. But I definitely brought, I could see where there was like, Emotion like, oh wow, there was a lot there. I need to write about that again. I need to like deal, delve deeper into that. I would often go back and read like a little bit at, back. Like I would say, well, what did I write last week? But I, I have not, I didn't do a huge, um, mm-hmm. I definitely, when I think about, I have done, done some rereading of my old journals and I definitely see a growing awareness of my own self criticism. I have a very strong inner critic. I think that's Again, I think that's part of my personality as well. Mm -hmm. And noticing how that arises and being able more like, oh, well, that's, you know, let's not go down that. That that voice needs to be quiet. Let's (laughs) move on from that. Um, That's definitely an area of evolution for me.
0: I often recommend journaling for that very reason so that they can look back and sort of see, yes, they may go up, but they may go down. But as the time passes, it will be gentler ups Mm. and downs, a little bit like a wave, just gently coming in and out. That's why I thought to mention it because uh, I guess because it helped you, you would recommend it to others to to do journaling yeah, as a healing way. What would you like to leave our listeners with, Peg? We've Kind of jumped all over the place, but that's what happens in my kitchen table.
1: Chat. Right, right. <laughs> I think I a message I always like to share is that it's never too late. It's never too late to remember. It's never too late to... Uh, share remembrances with other people and it's never too late to you know show yourself the compassion that you need and to if if appropriate you know your younger self to kind of nurture your younger self it, if it's something you feel like doing do it and to and to notice that in other people as well like what you want
0: for yourself give that to other people to selfless service isn't it that can help you heal as well Where can people get your book, Peg? Um,
1: My book is really available wherever books are sold. You can order it from any bookstore. You can order it on
0: Amazon and Barnes & Noble, all those, you know, bookshop, all those places. So it's very, very readily available. I like that. So for any motherless daughters or for any parent that is going through their own loss and are unsure what to say to their children or age appropriateness. Is that something your book can certainly help with?
1: I have been told that people find in my book they find inspiration for their own healing and they feel seen in their own like trauma or lack of support. Mm-hmm. But healing from grief, I'm. I think it's somewhat of a primer in what not to do <laughs> if you're having a loss in your family. It's my family did not all the best practices that we know today but you know sometimes you can learn things in the negative so I think it's for yeah it's for any certainly people who had an early loss or people who know people who had an early loss that's it's it's illuminating
0: in mm, that way so that by reading it it would give them some insights into what they may be experiencing as well
1: one of the things that's a little bit Unique about my book is that it covers a very long period of time. It co- mm-hmm. you know start it covers my childhood loss and events of young adulthood and then more recent events and how kind of my how I regard my loss and how I tell the story of my loss and whether I'm tell even telling the how I see myself evolve through several layers mm-hmm. and um, that can be interesting and helpful for people who you know, or coming in as a maybe a spouse or a friend of someone who lost a parent young. It, it's just an interesting take.
0: It just gives others more awareness and more insight into what their friends I mean. It's not something we sort of sit around the campfire or the dinner table right. sharing. Right, and especially it?
1: if the loss was long in the past. Exactly. If you, meet, if you meet someone in college who lost their mother when they were six, or you know, even later, you work with someone, you might not have that awareness yeah. that it really does affect them. It's always affecting them in one way or the other. Mm-hmm. It's always present. Just a little bit of awareness. I saw something on Instagram yesterday that was, I forget who it was, said, I've come to regard all reactions as survival strategies. Like everyone's just doing their best to survive and what they're doing is really reflective of that. They're not really trying to make your life harder. Exactly. They've got their own lives together. To their own on, struggles. <laughs> Everybody's got their own struggles. Yeah. yeah. Especially so, in this current age we're in where, you know, a lot of kids lost parents in COVID. Absolutely. I, mean, I, I think I'm sad to say that I think childhood bereavement maybe is getting a little more attention than it used to. And, may, and the long-term tale of grief, I think, is going to get more attention than it has mm-hmm. been, which is good.
0: I sincerely hope so, Peg, because I'm at the other end of the COVID spectrum where I'm with a lot of people who lost loved ones during COVID and didn't get to go to the funerals. They mm. didn't get that, the support or, or the, the Talk connection. Talk about secondary loss. To the rituals, absolutely. So that's that's what I've been up to just recently. So I would imagine that there will be perhaps a lot coming through that even teachers may need to be aware of a disruptive child in the classroom may not necessarily be, as you said, maybe reacting out of grief, eh? Mm -hmm. Peg, thank you so much for joining me today. I've so enjoyed our conversation. Likewise. (sighs) These need to be two hours, but then I don't think my (laughs) listeners would listen to me. Thank you so much Peg for joining me today and I'll make sure on my little write up that I put a link. Do you have a website for the I book? I do. I okay. do. My, my personal website
1: pegconway.com.
0: Okay. I will put the little link and uh the name of the book there. Thank Great. you so much for joining me as I said. Well, folks, as you know, that's a wrap. And if you found today's episode helpful, please comment or like the podcast. That way you'll be notified when a new one drops. Also remember, it's never too late to grieve. You don't have to grieve alone. Reach out. I'm Anne. Bye-bye for now.